Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to Into the Comics Cave with your host, comic book heartthrob, Grant Stoy. Hello, uh, people. We're doing another bad opening. I'm still Grant. I'm uh, still bad at this. But today we have uh, a writer who I enjoy from his comic book Yeti work and also from a book you may have already backed, Mechaton. And currently uh, coming out, Frankenstein Unconquered. We have well, Frankenstein oh, the Unconquered. I forgot the V. <laughs> you forgot the V. I feel like I'm in seventh grade again. Oh, uh, articles yeah. so important. <laughs> it's Will Thompson. Hello, Wells. Hey, Grant. How you doing? I'm I'm great. Because this is a visual medium, I need to point out that you're wearing a walrus walrus onesie, and it is just immaculate. Thank you. I appreciate that. I did my homework before coming on the podcast. I wanted to <laughs> uh, wanted to impress you with my knowledge uh, <laughs> that I that I had I had thought to maybe like listen to a couple of episodes and and see what you were <laughs> what the general vibe was before I hopped on. Well, it, it's lucky for you. Uh, I'm impressed by like basic basic math uh, because oh wonderful. I, oh yeah, helping my my fourth grade daughter with her homework is always like a, a Russian roulette situation. I'm uh, I'm pretty good at basic math. I gotta say, like I'm I'm a server in my in my day job, and uh, we do a tip pool, and it's like one step removed from being like entirely basic. So it's like very slightly complicated and for some reason everyone is like wells do it wells do it for me because i don't know how i'm like it's it, you, it's just 30 30 points for every server five points for the host that's all it is you guys not tip out the back of the house no they make salary they make they make <gasps> hourly man well yeah i make four dollars an hour grant i make four dollars <laughs> And this is why we fight for, I believe, in a restaurant reform. I agree. No, I 100% agree. Tips are a terrible system. Tips were born out of the uh, the Great Depression. Uh, really? Yeah, no. So the, the idea was, like, tips used to be considered un-American. It used to be considered, like, a form of bribery. Like, it was a European thing. Like, you would hand the, you know, server, you know, 20 euro or whatever they, francs whatever and be like hey take extra special care of me and yes sir absolutely and uh and it was considered like very rude in america like no this is a land of freedom you don't do that um and i'm i am also cutting out the racial undertones of that which is to say it was common to to tip black people because they were considered lesser than you that's a whole different can of worms all the, all that to say uh when the great depression hit and uh, restaurants were unable to pay their staff they said, well, you better start accepting tips. And uh, to and they did to survive. And then uh, they just never went back to like the actual, like like paying your employees. <laughs> Dude, I worked uh, over 10 years in the restaurant biz and I never learned that. So my mind is sufficiently blown. 
Yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of dirty secrets in the in the food industry. Uh, well, speaking of food, uh, what was your favorite meal growing up? Ooh. Uh, okay, so I grew up in uh, Arkansas, uh, and I learned late in life that cheese dip is an Arkansas thing. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, all, all I'm thinking about is like the uh, the Schuler cheese in the grocery store. No, Ooh. no, this is uh, essentially like, and there's there's like a redneck version of it, which is uh, specifically Velveeta uh, and Rotel melted in the microwave, and that is delicious. Nothing oh, is, is wrong with that. But you can. Also, like you can do so much more with it. You can throw throw chili and 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 uh, so much interesting stuff in there. Uh, but that is like my uh, original comfort food as an Arkansan is uh, is cheese dip, which uh, some people have now adopted to calling queso, and that and it's it's <laughs> not actually even like a. You can ask Jared Lujan. It's not a Mexican dish. It is. It originates from like Hope, Arkansas. <laughs> That is both informative and kind of depressing. <laughs> Isn't it, though? <laughs> well, tell me a little bit more about growing up in, in Arkansas. Like, you alluded earlier that you had a brother. How many people were in your family? Uh, so I, I I have a very strange kind of family situation. I have... Uh, so uh, my mom and dad were married for about three years, dur- or maybe a little longer than that. I, I, I'm just the, the frame of reference that is relevant to me. I was born in 93. They divorced in 96. So okay. they were married sometime before they had me. <laughs> uh, but, and going into that marriage, they both had a son. Dad had, dad had my brother, George. Mom had my brother, Turner. Uh, and they are now like best friends. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, like, that, we didn't all grow up together or anything. I grew up with Turner and occasionally saw George. And then, like, only when they were in high school did they have really any access to each other. And they went to high school together and were like, oh, yes, we're best friends. <laughs> I think I think their, <laughs> I think their friendship awesome. started with, like, hey, do you have a copy of Counter-Strike? I really want to. <laughs> and, and then they just, like, went over to each other's house started playing Counter-Strike. Um. So that's the beautiful origin story of how all of my family came together. But, um, but yeah, no. So I have I have two half brothers, uh, and also my dad has another uh, adopted son from a previous marriage. So okay. ex step brothers, if you will. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that's a that's a fun family unit. Yeah. Nice no, we had other people there, and you weren't some only child. Yeah, no, absolutely. We were, we were, the, we were the Thompson boys, which I wish there, I wish we had a band with the with with that kind of gumption I just brought to it, but it, it wasn't it's, that it's never glamorous. Too late. It's, it's never, too, never too late. I think it is. I'm I I play music pretty well. George abandoned playing drums like a long time ago, and Turner is uh, really sporadic with how he learns anything. <laughs> like he just wants to pick something up. Uh, get really into it for like a month and then never touch it again. So he, <laughs> so he like he, he, to his credit, he did stick with the ukulele for a while for a nice. really long time. So he he does know how to play the ukulele. All right, I I still would buy your uh, debut album with the Thompson Boys. Thompson Boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And what was your what were your reading habits like as a child? I that's a good question. I feel like I uh, resented reading as a kid, like particularly very young, because because my mom was very like pro education. It's probably her best quality, I'll say, was that she was like extremely for us being highly educated, making good decisions for ourselves, being able to like navigate life from an informed standpoint. And she wanted me to read all the time, and I wanted to play Ocarina of Time all the time. So we had a conflict there. I'll say, like, I somewhat grew into it by, I think I found, like, my love of reading in high school, really. Yeah. Like, with Kurt Vonnegut novels, and uh, and I kind of started backwards on comics. I read, like, I read Watchmen, and I read, uh, uh, mouse and persepolis so i did like the absolute hardcore literary stuff and then worked my way into the funny books in fact i like the 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 origin story of my becoming a writer i remember this vividly was uh the summer going into i want to say sixth grade i had to read secret garden which is a trash novel by <laughs> it's it's probably not that bad i don't know yeah, I, I, <laughs> I remember hating it a lot mm-hmm. i remember hating it so much i thought to myself i can do better than this and then i started writing short stories and they were bad obviously i was in i was i was in sixth grade <laughs> what do you want from me but i i like i never gave up on it i kept doing it <laughs> Just like the fact the Secret Garden. The only reason I know the Secret Garden is like I think there was a Shirley Temple movie based off it or something. Yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> and it's just obviously depressing books about depressing things and being required reading. You're just like, why are you doing this? Why are you? Oh, it's me- it's terribly. There's like there's a is a character that's like terminally in a wheelchair and he's like oh, no. given up on life and she has to like convince him that life is worth. It's it's been a long time since I've read it, but I I remember that. I remember there's a jump roping se- sequence. Uh, there's like what was a, hard for the guy in the wheelchair. Fun. What was hard for the guy in the wheelchair? He was said, the jump rope. Sounds like it was hard for the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, <laughs> it was an incredibly uh, forward thinking book. <laughs> you had animatronic legs all the way back then. No. Uh... <laughs> it's actually an Edgar Rice Burroughs book about the future. <laughs> Oh, that would have been much more entertaining to read. I do think in general that I don't know if it's uh, the requiring of reading or the fact that all required reading is boring. Like they they just happen to pick boring books to read. Mm -hmm. But there is something about that like rigid system that kills people's love of reading. And I wish we I mean, that is not the first or last thing that needs to be tackled as far as education reform goes mm-hmm. in this country, but it is one thing that dearly, like, I wish people, like, kids had a little bit more choice in what they read uh, as they as they are growing. Right. And yeah. when did you start reading comics? Because Watchmen... Yeah. Like, I feel like you have to be a teenager <laughs> to to get that. Yeah, no, I was... Um, it, it, it was... I was probably... 10th or 11th grade uh was when i picked up watchmen um and i i just loved it immediately like i didn't understand like the commentary they were doing on like the superhero genre in Mm -hmm. comics necessarily but i i really enjoyed 
the ev- like just the everything about it the writing style depth of character the kind of pacing of it the I, it was one of the first things that i read that i really went oh you you're allowed to make scumbag characters that like they don't learn a lesson but you get to learn a lesson through them you know you get to watch Rorschach be a bad person and go i don't want to be that right <laughs> Or if you're an edgelord, I do want to be that. I was going to say, at 16, <laughs> you learn more than a lot of adults. I mean, I knew that Rorschach was not a good person, for sure. <laughs> I probably thought he was a lot cooler then than I did now, than I do now. But yeah, even then I was like, this guy's a little crazy. And his, his, uh, his moral code is all over. As much as he wants to believe it's like black and white, it is all over the place. Right. There's a lot of interesting stuff I could t- I could talk about with that particular book. I like that they g- they have like a Superman figure in that book, and they go out of their way to make all the to put all the agency in the uh, human characters. Yeah, uh, and it's like a very mature take on Superman. Again, I could just keep going like that lethargy of like uh, of like I am burdened with so much knowledge. It's just hard for me to relate to people anymore. And I, I don't understand why I need to care about any of this. Well, you bring up an interesting point. Uh, because you have such like salient observations on Watchmen itself, and you've got such a good critical eye, what came first, the, the critique of comics or the creation of comics? Oh, the critique, 100%. Um, I, I approached from, uh, from a literary standpoint first. I wanted to be a novelist. Let's be clear about that. Like that was my goal. Uh, I wanted to be short story writer, novelist. Uh, I have like I have a novel in my drawer right now, mm-hmm. um, and sort of the reality of publishing was what turned me off to that world. Like I've I've written so many short stories. Some of them are even good, and <laughs> like none of them have ever been published in anything but like college literary magazines. And I just kept it just like kept beating me down and beating me down and beating me down. And then I I really transitioned from there into screenwriting, uh, where I, with a lot of my friends in college, including Dalton Shannon, who is my co-writer on most of the things that I write. Um we went into digital filmmaking. He went into digital filmmaking, I went into writing, uh, and then I would write the screenplays for my friends and help them with their like stories. We would make films and I would like, oh, let's see, I have, that's for best actor. Let me, <laughs> oh, here it is. This is my, my Red Brick Film Festival best writing. Oh, you that's see cool. That. Yeah, it's a brick uh, with a plaque on it. Uh, but yeah, I won that for a, uh, that was 2017, 2016. So that, that, that was for adulting. That was for a mockumentary about what it's like to become an adult. Uh, that that reads very like, what's that? The the uh, training video episode of SpongeBob. I don't like think I've seen that. You have to remember, you know, I'm also 65 years old. That's true. Sorry. So yeah, there's a very <laughs> famous episode of SpongeBob where they're doing like a Krusty Krab instructional training video, and there's a narrator who's very sassy and like. Uh, they're just kind of going step by step through the day, and the 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 main character is becoming like more and more impatient, wanting to get to the point. And he's like, "Slow down, SpongeBob. <laughs> First, we need to talk about hygiene." Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, so I did a lot of screenwriting, 
uh, with my friends in college. And when we graduated, I wanted to keep making stuff. And so did they, but they were kind of lazy about it, mm-hmm. I guess. And it got like I was trying to like get us to like you know start doing YouTube stuff and and making videos and podcasts and like make shit. Yeah, yeah. And what I learned really quickly is the more you like push people to do your vision who don't like share your vision, uh, the more they're just gonna not do it. <laughs> yes. Like you can't make them, you know. <laughs> they will not do it harder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And and I got really frustrated with that, and I started writing my first novel. Uh, so great. So I was like, I want to do just totally solo work, whatever. And that was really fulfilling. Uh, but again, novels are very hard to publish. To, to, such to the point that I once went to a writer conference, explained it to someone, uh, and they were like, that sounds incredible. No one will touch that. <laughs> Would you think, sir? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank you. That's so helpful. They were like, it is way too esoteric for like a first novel. And I'm like, well, it is my first novel. So what am I supposed to do with that information? Um, and then I told them the pitch behind one of my graphic novel ideas. And they were like, I will sell that immediately. You call me in, you call me the second you have artwork, <laughs> uh, which was a fun experience. I never did call them back, but that's fine. I don't have any artwork for it either. (laughs) We'll get there eventually. It's all in the plan. (laughs) So in the midst of your creating, do you have anything you need like playing in the background? Because some people have YouTube videos. Some people put on movies. uh, Some people sit in stone cold silence and listen to their heartbeat. uh, You know, like psychos do. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't I can't listen to the entropy of creation like that and just be expected to... No, no. I can't, like, listen to the world crumbling around me and just continue to write. Um, Almost always I have some kind of music on. I used to make playlists. Like, I I have, uh, like, like, a bunch of albums set aside for, like, this is my... This is what I'm working on for In the Pines, and this is when I'm... This is when I'm working on depths and things like that. Uh, the more I've been working recently, uh, the more I feel I get distracted by the music. So I've been, oh. I literally just put on, uh, like, go to YouTube and type in lo-fi for witches. And whatever I haven't listened to, there's like 800 videos. And I just like, whatever I haven't listened to yet, I click on it. And I it's like a two and a half hour long video. And I just go. That's amazing. Yeah, they know it's it like the ambient noise. It's it's like the perfect meeting place between like more interesting than a rain machine, but yeah. not so interesting I'm going to be distracted by it. It seems like a lot of folks get by with that lo-fi. Like for instance, the lo-fi beats playlist on Spotify is yeah. like the most popular creative playlist. Yeah, it's it's super uh background in the best way possible like it's not there to interfere with you it's just there to like take your mind off of the present off of like what is going on in the immediate vicinity around you is that what you're listening to for for frankenstein uh a little yeah i mean yeah yeah, but that's what i listened to the last script that i wrote for sure i just uh plugged it in and, and sort of let my mind 
wander uh, in a coffee shop somewhere in downtown Nashville. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm curious when you're tackling uh, like a like a major fictional character like uh, Frankenstein's monster. Did you avoid like anything like the the Mary Shelley Frankenstein movie or even Young Frankenstein to extent anything <laughs> with that character that might push you feeling in a certain way? Uh, as in, like, did I did I go out of my way not to watch or read anything? Uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a big lover of all things horror, uh, and and I really love that uh, that book. So uh, the short answer is no. Uh, in <laughs> fact, I, I really wanted this. I wanted to kind of, I can't take all the credit, obviously. Uh, Dalton is a huge part of, of, Dalton was the one who had the original idea for Frankenstein. And Dalton is a huge part of the reason why we decided to pursue this particular story. Uh, but certainly, like, we both had a lot of input into who Frankenstein would be, because it is an established character. People know mm -hmm. who it is. Uh, and I made a conscious choice. I wanted it to be closer to the Mary Shelley Frankenstein uh, than like popular notions and like universal horror. Yeah. Uh, even though, and like universal horror monsters are frequently uh, referenced in our scripts in, for, for this particular series. Uh, and we want that association to be there, but I, I really wanted to dive back into the literary roots for this one. Um, because there's a lot there to chew on and i feel like it's especially when you have him like as a protagonist it's a lot more interesting than mm. the universal horror like kind of mindless nothing there just killing machine oh yeah and he he sort of projects that way sometimes in the comic i don't know if did i show did i bother to show you any of the preview art i don't i've remember. just seen the incredible uh heather von cover with the brand uh, Snell. Gotcha. Logo. We we have like we have five uh completed pages right now. Right yeah, for that are gonna that we're sort of dropping on Twitter and previewing and, and are gonna be on the Kickstarter page. But like he sort of presents as like a move forward, kill everything, like you know, uh unfeeling machine. But that is very much a like a front. Mm -hmm. That is him kind of protecting himself uh from the world that he grew up in and has been dropped in which is in in a way like meets him where he is it is hostile it is ugly and in a way uh like it allows him to thrive and at the same time it doesn't judge him in the same way that like you know, Mary Shelley's world did, but he still has the baggage of that world. Okay. Uh, and he carries that with him. It's it's very much a story about like toxic masculinity and 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 being being more than is necessary to a damaging degree. And I can't wait to tell it. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Hello there. My name is Don Cardenas and I'm here to invite you to check out my podcast, the twenty twenty one Granty Award winning Comics Coffee Metal where I interview creatives in, around, and about the worlds of, you guessed it, comics, coffee, and metal. I've already had such amazing guests on my show, including, but not limited to, Liana Kangas, Mike Norton, John O'Diener, Michael Conrad, Sophie Campbell, Guitar Max Carlisle, Andrew Baina, and of course, the word bros themselves, Bob and Kevin. Comics, coffee, metal is available on all the major podcast services, 
and you can find it directly at comicscoffeemetal.com. I hope to see you there, and now I return you to Into the Comics Cave with the amazing, awesome, talented, um, tall, handsome, uh, what else did I say? Definitely over six feet tall, smells good like lavender and motorcycle grease. Is that right? Motorcycle grease? Alright. Grant Stoy. There, I said it. Get my money now. So, I have a weird question to ask you. Please. And I tailored it specifically to tie in with Frankenstein. Love that. How many different dicks do you think Dr. Frankenstein looked at before choosing the one he put on Frankenstein's monster? Oh. Well, he picked the most beautiful uh, body parts that he could find. Canonically, I, I love that, that he's not ugly because, like, he's hideous. He's ugly because all these different body parts are beautiful individually but don't work together. So I think it's actually, like, two or three. Like, he got uh, he got the head off of one particularly beautiful penis, uh, like the dick vein off of another. He got the testicles off of a third, probably the shaft off of a fourth. He put a lot of work into the individual parts of the dick and balls. So. I so if there's a four to five different dicks on Frankenstein right now, oh, I'm wow. gonna say he probably looked at about eighty or ninety before he settled. He, that takes it in a place I was not expecting. I was thinking that he would just like just lop the things off, like even to to say there he's got like the the scrotum with the balls and and the and the penis, like he just put those not like pieces of different things. He, I wasn't thinking Frankensteining a dick. <laughs> no, he's he's Frankensteining the whole thing. That's the That's point. Amazing. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> no, now we got to really think about this. Like, how would because this is what in the late 1700s when? Uh, the original novel comes out, I believe, in 1812. Okay. 1818. There we go. 18... Oh, that was pretty close. 1818. So, like, the decomposition structure, they're not that big into, like, embalming at that point, are they? Uh, there are there are certainly embalming methods. Okay. Yeah, I mean, myrrh, like, they certainly knew about embalming. And even if you track it further, like, mummification is a type of embalming. So, yeah. certainly that, that would exist to some degree. How, how widespread it was for very common part, like, common people in the 1800s, I, I do not know. So I'm just um, curious about like what the turnaround is for comparing and contrasting all those different ball bags. Mm, mm, I don't know. It would have probably pretty fresh. I'm not going to lie. Probably you have to go pretty fresh or you have to go very aristocratic. He might have some like Duke's testicles or something like that. Someone who could afford that sort of embalming procedure and that would last a while. Or do you think he was like in the, the gentleman's club, like, perusing the showers, just checking people out and cruising and stuff. Well, he didn't he, murder anybody to, well, to I mean, make the... What if, what if he's like, well, you know, you are very old, sir, but <laughs> your giant elephantine ball sack could be very well harvested. I mean, I mean, that's always a possibility, but he did have to work with what was already dead. Yeah. Which, And that is another thing to think about. He worked with oversized parts on purpose, so... 
Am I saying Frankenstein has a Ron Jeremy sized penis? Absolutely, I am. Uh, <laughs> and when he comes down from the the comet, spoilers, naked on a comet, ready to murder some folk, and we had many conversations about whether or not we should see Frankenstein's penis. <laughs> and you and I have something in common, Grant, and that is, I think. Both of us are at some point in our careers uh, going to be asked, "Where is the dick cut?" Because, mm. because I've 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 read your work as well. Uh, <laughs> side quest number one is a great place for a dick. There's a whole logo in front of it. You went way out of your way to cover it up. So where is it, Grant? Uh, so I'm glad that you so openly discussed Frankenstein's dick. Oh, absolutely. And now I just got to think about, you know, him perusing the morgue. There was a great, in the original short that we did for Frankenstein the Unconquered, which if you didn't know it was a, it was a short uh, that just shows how lackluster you are as a reviewer, that you would not do the research. I'm actually illiterate. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. All right. No, I, I'm not surprised uh, Descent into Dread is not like the most popular, but uh, our original, uh, here we go, Descent into Dread. No one's going to see the video. I don't know why I'm showing you this. But uh, yeah, you can see the original like drawing of uh, Frankenstein. Oh, that's fascinating. It's just very shadowy. And uh, there's there's a couple shots where you're like, dude, you are you cannot go any closer without showing some serious brain or he's got a an obsidian wiener that just takes up the whole mass of his left thigh that would be uh that would be a a twist if this is just the whole thing is oh, okay here you go this is actually this particular panel you can kind of see he actually uh doesn't grow pubic hair apparently like uh, it is incredibly shaved <laughs> well you're riding around the comet you know you have to reduce friction it is manscaped to a frightening degree so speaking of manscaping i've got some bad news okay you actually went to your favorite uh brazilian waxer and they were tiffany, giving you the sure. treat what tiffany yeah yeah she's giving you the treatment <laughs> it's a great great time until um she waxes you incorrectly and just rips uh, one of your, is it femoral arteries, like right out of your leg? Yeah, femoral. Yeah. Near so the you, femur. Yeah, you bleed to death, smooth as a baby, and you're dead, and I'm sorry. At least I was smooth. Yeah, at least you were smooth. At least I was uh, smooth. Because you've listened to the questions before, I'm doing them in reverse order. Oh, beautiful. Uh, you get Tripping to have me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You get to heaven naked as a jaybird, uh, and there's Jack Kirby. And what do you think he says to you? Uh, you're not hairy enough to be a Jew. <laughs> I think that's what he says. And I say, fair enough, I'm not practicing. You have a good day, <laughs> sir. You shake hands and part ways. Yeah. That's lovely. <laughs> Uh, Wells, what is your favorite swear word that's not a swear word? Ooh. Uh, so, so the one I, like, what I do when I need to swear usually is just say fuck, but when I can't swear, 
what I'll do is just turn it into like syllables. I'll just be like, ah, forget, 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 yeah. Well, I'll I, just kind of dissolve my words into nothing speech. Because uh, also, as a server, do you feel comfortable swearing in front of a customer if, like, say, a glass gets dropped? It depends on the context. Because there's different, like, you know, it, it depends on the rapport that I've built with them, the uh, vibe that I get off the table, how old they are, you know. But I've, I've certainly, I've, <laughs> someone, like, I think two days ago, someone cursed in front of me, looked at me, and was like, I'm so sorry. And I went, watch your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a big laugh from the table, so. That is a feeling I do miss. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's all context sensitive. But, yeah. Um, I uh, <laughs> There was one that, uh, what was it? Uh, by the horns does one that I that grew on me. I didn't like it at first, but it's Frax. Yes, F R A X. And like I, I thought it was dumb at first. I was just like, that's I just I just don't like substitute swear words. But the more they said it, the more natural it felt, and I actually yes. grew to really like it. I so Fraxing, Fraxing yeah. is good. Fraxing is pretty good. Uh, number three, what is something you dislike about sequential art? That I that I don't like about sequential art. Ooh, um, I don't like how everyone feels exploited, but we're but we're only capable of pointing the finger at each other. Okay. Yeah. Like writers feel super exploited because we basically have to pay to play. Mm -hmm. uh, like we have to hire everybody. I mean, you don't have to, I guess, but <laughs> if you want to get anywhere, you definitely have to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we are very easily burned, you know, if someone, if, if an artist, I mean, all the way from like lied to you about wanting to be on your project and then took the money and ran all the way mm -hmm. to like maybe got sick had a life event come up and legitimately couldn't but like can very easily just fuck an entire project by you know uh getting paid thousands of dollars to make pages and making you know maybe doing all of them or most of them and but not being able to get to carry on a project or yeah. you know etc cetera, etc cetera. like you can lose a lot of money in this industry doing nothing and then artists uh and they're right. I'm not trying to start a. I'm not trying to start a flame war on Twitter. Like yeah. artists are very like you know defensive about you know their part of the creative process and feel like they get fucked out of a lot of credit and uh and and like they should amount to more and like writers are out to fuck them sometimes, which mm -hmm. can certainly be true. Uh, and what drives me crazy not only that that happens like being a creating art should not cost this much money on anyone's part mm -hmm. uh but that we we seem to only be capable of like pointing to the other and going it's your fault instead of being like wow why is this market broken yeah. why is this market so inherently broken that no one can make their money back on like on a comic book <laughs> like it when when the guy writing batman is making like 50 grand a year something's wrong yeah. Like it's not it's not a good state of the 
of of a system if television writers were making what like paid to make television paid their own money to make a tv show we would have no more tv <laughs> i don't understand how comics even continue to get made at this point oh uh, i like doing the questions reverse because now we go what is something that you love about sequential art <laughs> uh i love the collaboration oh hell yeah. i love uh i love getting to do the part that i'm really good at moving it on to someone else and then working with them to make it better mm -hmm. um because like there's so many stories that I've worked on that I thought this is as good as I can ever make it. This is as good as it'll ever be. And then an artist comes along and it's like, what if we did this? And I'm like, yes. Oh my God. Yes. It's so much better. Um, I think comics is like the ultimate. It is small enough that uh, you get to make it. <laughs> you, you get to work like you get to work. It's big enough. You get to work with people. It's small enough. It actually gets done uh, for expensive but not unreasonable cost a lot of the time uh and uh and you really get to see on every step of the way how it gets better and how people's bring their own ideas into it and it improves and and becomes something bigger than than what was in your head originally yeah and we're going to close out with uh what is your favorite sequential art sound effect ooh so i would be remiss if i didn't bring up uh this guy oh uh, that's crazy yeah uh, for, for those painting. who are unable to see through the sound waves it's actually like a boom it's a like a document what is that a painting no it's a painting it's a it's a canvas painting oh, that's wild it's a painting yeah. that has a boom that looks like it was in the batman 66 tv show yeah i love it um so this specific boom is probably my favorite uh, but in terms of like what is in a comic, I have a couple different answers. Um, let me let me take a second to to step outside the question and say lettering is one of my favorite parts because there's so much creative shit you can do with it, and nothing makes me more excited than to see like a Ditya Bidikar is on a book or Hassan uh, is oh, on yeah. a book. Or, you know, it's just like seeing a really good letterer do their thing is, is incredible. Um, in Mechaton, there's this cool thing that Nathan did where when the creature Diahedopod comes, like, runs onto the, uh, the set, he, he makes this horrible scream. Oh, that's wild. And it's like a, Q, it's like a QR code almost. It's like staticky. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just like, horrifying raw noise that you can't yeah. really even capture and like you could i guess we could have gone raw but it's like this is so much like more visceral to me oh absolutely um so i really love that but if i had to pick like one very common i guess word that's that's my favorite sound effect it's probably squelch <laughs> that feels like it has multiple usages it's 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 for me it's anything that is wet and sloppy and gross and it like it sounds the way it is the way it, like everything about it just is so cohesive i like ending on squelch squelch uh, wells you are a walrus tastic delightful person where can folks find you on the socials uh i'm most frequently 
uh, on Twitter uh, at Wells Thomp, W E L L S T H O M P. I do have a newsletter that I, you can find a way to sign up for. <laughs> I will try and make it easy if you. It, I'll I'll set something up on Twitter. Uh, if if nothing else is pinned, then I'll I'll make that my pin. Uh, but we talk about uh, it's called comics. Ca- uh, what is it? Comics, cats, and cocktails. And we talk huh. about comics, cats, and cocktails. Uh, <laughs> I show you like pictures of my foster cats. I share a cocktail recipe from my many years of the serving and bartending experience, and I talk about comics. Well, that's uh, a good combination. Yeah, right. It's got a little everything. Um, where else? Uh, I'm on Ko-Fi, coffee. Very important. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, pick up Mechaton or just give me money there. That is always appreciated. Um, and. Very likely, at any given point in time, I am running a Kickstarter campaign, so keep an eye out for that, and I will 100% uh, notice if you contribute to that campaign, because I refresh the page constantly. (laughs) Thank God for mobile apps. Oh my God, it ruins my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dude, thank you so much for for joining us and putting up with my my nonsense. Uh, I was very looking forward to having you. I came for the nonsense grant. I 100% came for the nonsense. This has been a Comic Book Yeti production. You can find new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts stream. For more information on the Comic Book Yeti, please visit comicbookyeti.com. And for more of Grant, visit grantstoy.com or on Twitter at Grant and Stuff.